joining us, if you're visiting with us, we want to extend our welcome to you and, uh, and let you know that we're glad you're here. Um, and so in order to do that, um, we usually have lunch in this room right after worship. Today, you picked a special day. You picked a good day to be here. And the reason for that is because our, uh, one of our mission groups, the, the Los Damas de Baxter, these are some ladies that, that work to raise funds and support one of our mission efforts, the, the Baxter Institute. You can learn more about what they do and, and why they do it and how they do it and all those things if you want to. This is a, a luncheon they're providing today as a thank you to this congregation for all the support they have done over the last year. And so it's free. It's, uh, uh, I think it's fried chicken, right? So, I mean, you can't go wrong with fried chicken. If you don't like fried chicken, you're just not... Texan enough or something. Um, but yeah, everybody is welcome. You don't have to bring anything. There's, it's not a potluck. It's not a pay-as-you-go. You are welcome. Um, so you need to come over here after worship, uh, check in, get you some chicken, hang out, and uh, let everybody get to know you. That's, that's, the, uh, that's a great opportunity to do that. Um, there, there's a couple of things that we have to to touch on. Um, one of those is our, uh, our uh, three by three by three. Um, that's an initiative that we started last week. We passed out, if you weren't here, we passed out a bunch of these cards, looks like this, and uh, we asked you to write three names on the back of that card that, that God put on your heart that you can be praying for. And so you're going to pray for three people three times a day for three months. The idea is somewhere in that time between now and Easter, God's going to provide you an opportunity to share your faith, to invite those people to worship and, or, or whatever. And so I'm telling you, it, it will work. It's amazing what God does when his people pray. Um, we committed, wrote these down. We put them all in these uh, baskets and uh, they're still there. Nobody's touched them. Um, I've come in here and prayed over them during the week. I, I know uh, uh, some of our other folks have done that. That will continue to happen. If you did not, if you were not here, you didn't do that, it's not too late. It's not ever too late to participate. There's cards out here at the Hub. You can pick one up, write your three names down, drop it in here. doesn't have to be a fancy thing. Um, or you can just do it on your own. But... Uh, if you say, well, Jeff, I, I did it this week, but I forgot to pray. It's no big deal. It's not like one of those diets, you know, where you mess up and then you've got to start all over. It's not like that. Um, you, you, just, you just do it. And, and if you, it, you don't have to make it up. There's not makeup work. You just pray for your three names and continue to do that. So that's that. Also, LTC is happening. Um, if you don't know what LTC is, LTC is Leadership Training for Christ. Barr referenced it. And it is a, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a UIL uh, for, for Jesus. You know what I mean? You remember UIL? When you, I don't know if y'all are, I'm too old. Uh, do they still do that now? Where you, thank you. So you go and you do, uh, except we do church things. You do some speech or you do some, some praying. You do some Bible reading and things like that. And they have a, a convention in, uh, we're going to the one in College Station. Um, but... There's a couple things that I want to clear up because I heard some people say, well, you know, we can't participate in that because the, uh, the, the practice is three hours. No, it's not three hours. They just have a three-hour block blocked off, and so different events will happen at different times. And so 
clear that up. Second, I heard people say, well, I can't go because that's the, the same weekend as the fair or it's close to the fair or something about the fair. That's okay. You can participate whether you go to the conference or not. There are a lot of events that you can participate in and be part of that you can still send to the conference. Um, the, the kid can meddle in and, and get recognized for their work, and they don't even have to be there. So there's a lot of opportunity here, and I encourage you, if you haven't, to, uh, to get connected with that. It's not too late. You can, you can sign up. You can show up this afternoon. No big deal. So if you haven't, seriously consider that because there's a lot of folks in here that will tell you that made a huge difference in, in their lives growing up, both spiritually and in their work life and everything as they went on. We're continuing our series on the table. We're looking at the table metaphor at, at, through the Gospel of Luke. The, Luke has more table stories than any other gospel. Luke has uh, more references to, to meals and to table fellowship than any other gospel. And so we're going to walk through some of these, these opportunities in Luke. If you have your Bible, go ahead and be turning to Luke chapter 7. That's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, let me tell you, we want to provide that for you. There are Bibles out here at the Hub, and we will be happy to give you one. So if you don't have a Bible, you say, well, I, you know, I can't afford that. Whatever. That's fine. I don't care why you don't have one. We want to give you one. So stop by out there and say, hey, I want one of those Bibles Jeff was talking about. One of those guys out there will hook you up. Um, Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to end up. Luke chapter 7 it's kind of about othering. There's there, one of the hot words that is in academic psychological circles right now is othering. Othering is basically a, a, a weird new term that they kind of made up. First it was the other, then it was other with a capital O. Now it's othering. And, and othering is basically the process by which we divide. As, as people, as human beings, we divide into groups, and, and we do it naturally. Um, sometimes we divide by gender, we divide by race, we divide by, by culture, we divide by all kinds of things. I mean, we can take it down. I could say, how many of you were born in Huntsville? Uh, how many of you went to, to, to Sam? How many of you, I mean, we, we can divide by all kinds of different lines. And if you start thinking about it, you start thinking about how we do that naturally. And, and not all division is bad. Uh, sometimes it's just a natural thing where you, you gravitate to people who are more like you. When it gets bad is when it's othering. Othering is when we have to label that other group. And there has to be those other people. And those other people are different than me. And rather than acknowledging that diversity and that difference, we alienate it. That's othering. And it's a natural thing that happens but it happened a lot in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were quite skilled at othering. These guys believed, and we talked about them a little bit last week, that they were kind of the purity police. And their job was to keep things pure and, and to keep the, the, the Jews on task and, and, and purely connected to, to the Bible. And so these guys, that they worked really hard at creating all these barriers, creating all these walls, creating all these rules so that you wouldn't actually break God's rules. And so they were quite skilled at othering. And what we see, well, we're going to see that a lot more in Luke chapter 7. In, in Luke chapter 7, about midway through, we find Jesus entering into uh, the, the city of Nain. And, and 
he's, he's just left. He's got a big crowd following him. And he's walking into this city. And as he's walking in, there's another big crowd coming out. He meets a funeral procession. And, and he pulls over to the side of the road because that's what you do. Um, it's, it's funny because we don't realize it because we're from Texas, but that's not normal um, the, in other parts of the world. When, whenever I do a funeral, I always ride with the funeral directors, and, and we get to talking because I'm just fascinated by people and how you decide to be a funeral director. And um, we get to talking about that. One of the guys in Snyder, he had, not, he had not grown up in Texas. He had grown up in the north. And he said, you don't realize that this doesn't happen anywhere else. When, we first, when, we, when I first got here and I did my first funeral, people started pulling to the side of the road. I was like, what's going on? And well, it's just something we do. We're southern. We just do that. We don't even think about it, right? When you meet a funeral procession, you pull to the side of the road. Sorry, I'm rabbit trailing. But Jesus is coming in to Nain, and he meets a funeral procession. And, and it's interesting what we see in this dynamic here, that, that this woman is coming out, and, and Luke tells us that, that walking behind the funeral procession is the mother of this young man who is dead. Um, it says, tells us that she's a widow and that this is her only son. So you can imagine the natural pain that she's in, right? But this is a considerable blow to her. We don't get it in our society because as a widow, her only standing was in her next male relative. And so when her husband passed away, everything fell to her son. So this was her only son, this was the last bit of standing that she has in the world. When a woman's husband died in that time, in that culture, she had a couple of choices. She would either go and, and live with another male relative uh, of some distance, or she would return to her father, or she'd be a beggar. And, and so that's why... It's such a big deal because women couldn't hold a job. Women couldn't own property. Women couldn't uh, ha have bank accounts or any of that kind of stuff. That, that didn't happen. And so if she didn't have a male heir, all that stuff went somewhere else to her next male relative. Like if her husband had property, if her husband had a business, if her husband had money, it went somewhere else because she couldn't have it. So when that last male heir is dying, this is a considerable blow to her. Her life is over. Because we realize being a widow, she's probably old enough that she can't go back to her father's house. And, and she has nobody left, no male left to give her standing in the community. And so in her world, everything is coming to an end. Her life is over. She doesn't know what she's going to do from here on out. And so you can imagine the mourning, the pain, not just having lost a son, if that wasn't blow enough, but having lost everything. Until Jesus intervenes. Jesus stops the procession. Luke tells us that Jesus felt pity for her. King James says felt compassion, but 
none of that really does it justice. The phrase here is, is actually to be moved to your bowels. Now, in, in that culture, the bowels, the gut, was the, the place where emotions lived. We think of it as being the heart, and, and that's why this week you'll see all kind of hearts everywhere. But they thought it was the bowels. Now, they didn't put stomachs on things, but, but you get the idea. But you think about when you're emotional, you feel the butterflies in the pit of your stomach, or, or you hear people talk about, you know, my, my, I got that sinking feeling in my stomach. You can understand why they, they believe that, that this was where the, the emotions were, were kept. And so that phrase means literally to be moved to your bowels. Um, NIV translated, his heart went out to her. Basically, the, the best way I can say it in our culture is, his heart broke for this lady. Jesus sees her, Luke says, and his heart broke for her. Where others saw a woman or a widow or a label, some kind of other, Jesus saw her. He saw her situation, he saw her grief, he saw her life dying before her eyes, and he doesn't just see her, he intervenes. This is interesting because there, there's, no, uh, there's no great uh, request. She doesn't ask him to intervene. There's no uh, great faith, there's no begging, there's no go wash or do this. This is all Jesus. Jesus sees her, and Jesus steps in and takes action. She doesn't ask for it. Nobody begs him for it. Nobody prays for her. Jesus just jumps in, and he stops the processional, and he walks over, and he touches the beer, the, the thing that they're carrying him on. Now, that right there is, is crazy. There were minds blowing because Jews, especially a Jewish rabbi, don't have anything to do with dead things, period. That's big-time, unclean mojo. That's, that's Pharisees getting really upset because now you've got to go and you've got to go to the priest and you've got to do a bunch of rituals and all this kind of stuff so that you can go back to church because you're not clean anymore just by touching that. Remember last week we talked about dose-insensitive and negativity-dominant? You remember that? That... that a little bit of contaminant can contaminate the whole thing. Remember the glass of lemonade? Some of y'all were here. Um, um, some of you were awake. At, at any rate, a little bit can contaminate the whole thing. But what we see over and over and over is the opposite where Jesus is concerned. Jesus doesn't get contaminated. Jesus cleanses whatever he comes into contact with. And so when he touches that beer, he doesn't become unclean. He overcomes death. Jesus jumps in, he takes the initiative, and he raises this boy, this man, to life. It's, it's amazing to me because God is not constrained by the rules or the boxes that we put him in. See, Jesus is God, and, and, and God doesn't need Jeff to do his work. God doesn't need anybody to do his work. It, he can jump in when he sees us, when he sees our pain, when he sees where we're at. He's going to jump in. He's going to connect. God's not going to be constrained or put in a box. 
Jesus sees her. That's amazing. And it's important. Because Jesus traveled with the 12, but beyond that, Jesus traveled with women. He had women who were following him. That was unheard of. Women weren't allowed to be educated. Women weren't allowed to go to school. Women were certainly not allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi. I've told you before, when Martha gets mad at Mary, it has nothing to do with housework. It has to do with she's stepping outside of her place. She's sitting at his feet as a learner, as a disciple. Women aren't supposed to do that. They're supposed to be in the kitchen cleaning up. Jesus didn't play by those rules. Jesus acknowledged women. Jesus appreciated women. Jesus touched and interacted with women. Jesus allowed women to be his disciples. Jesus accepted support. Women openly supported his ministry financially with food, with shelter, and he accepted that. No other rabbi would do that. The Jews were really good at recording things and making records. And you won't find any record of any Jewish rabbi ever who traveled with or was supported by or had interactions with women, period, except for Jesus. Many of you have heard the, the Jewish rabbi's prayer. I don't know if you remember this, but it's easy to believe that that's a, a, a preacher story, but it's not. Uh, rabbis would pray, I thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile or a woman. That was common. That was normal. That was a normal rabbi's prayer. There, you won't find Jesus ever praying that prayer anywhere. Because God doesn't get put in those boxes. He's not going to play by their rules. And this is radical. This is revolutionary. In Jesus' time, women were property. And, and Jesus sees a woman. He doesn't see property. He sees the image of God. He sees a human being. And so... When Jesus would go into the synagogue, he would come out to the women's courtyard to preach. That's unheard of. Rabbis didn't preach in the women's courtyard. They preached inside where the men were because that was where the important stuff happened. It's important for us to realize that. Somebody, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about going to church and being a Christian, and this individual was, was unchurched, and, and she said to me that... that Christianity is very anti-women. Well, maybe there have been things done in the name of Christianity that are anti-women, but that's not Jesus. I, don't, I can't speak for all of Christianity or all people who claim to be Christian, but I can tell you that's not Jesus Christ. Jesus was not about that. In fact, any changes that you see, anytime women are given uh, a standing or authority or, or any kind of privilege comes about because Christianity comes to a nation. No other religion does that. You won't see that happening with any other religion. Islam, for example, they'll, they'll do, well, they'll, they'll do some atrocious things. They'll circumcise women. Don't, don't, you don't want to know. Don't go look it up. You'll, be, you'll thank me that you didn't. It's disgusting and it's horrific. You won't find that in Christianity because that's not Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't do that. In, in Islamic countries, the testimony of a man counts four times the testimony of a woman. 
It's impossible to try sexual assault cases or any kind of assault against a woman in an Islamic country because her, it's not her word against his. It's her word. She has to have at least five other witnesses for her word to count. You won't find Jesus doing things that you can find all other religious leaders doing. In fact, Jesus goes the other direction. Jesus says, you treat her the way I treat the church. That means you be willing to die for her. You be willing to give yourself up for her. You be willing to protect her. We don't get how radical that is. You go back through your Gospels and you pay attention to Jesus' interaction with women and his teaching. It's, it's revolutionary. They didn't just kill Jesus because he said some things about the temple or, or, or did some things that they didn't like. They killed Jesus because he was changing the culture. He was stepping outside of those boxes. They didn't like that. So Jesus is then questioned by some of John's disciples. We're still walking through Luke chapter 7. John sends some people to him and says, Are you the one? Are you the one we're supposed to expect, or is there somebody else coming? And, and I, 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 this just seems random, right? I mean, he's going from this, this, this funeral, and then here comes these disciples of John saying, Are, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or are we supposed to expect somebody else? There's a couple things that I want us to see there. First of all is that even John the Baptist had doubts. Sometimes you're going to have doubts, and you're going to think, is this for real? Is this thing that I'm doing, is this Christianity for real? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with having doubts. It's okay. And when you have doubts, God wants you to pursue that. Go to Him. Go to the source. Too many people have doubts, and then they go to the world for answers. And that's where you get derailed. Jesus answers them and says, he says, go tell John what? What you have seen. Remember? We're back to seeing again. Jesus saw her. He says, you go tell John what you have seen. And then he goes and says a bunch of things. The blind see, the deaf hear, dead are brought back to life. Good news is preached to the poor. Go tell John this is what's happened. And then he makes this statement, verse 31. To what shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man's come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. We don't get that because we're not Semitic. We don't understand those idioms. Jesus is saying to them, you want a Messiah made in your image. You want a Messiah that fits neatly in your little box. But I ain't playing by those rules. I'm coming and I'm going to be my own Messiah. I'm going to be God and I'm going to do things my way. I'm not going to dance because you play some music. I'm not going to be your monkey. You aren't going to put God in a box. I have people come to me all the time and say, I think the church should be just like it was when I was a kid. And, and shouldn't change. We should be exactly the same because change makes me uncomfortable. 
Well, I can't speak for your church, but that's not Jesus. Jesus is all about making people uncomfortable. The Jesus in the Bible lived to make people uncomfortable because our Jesus will not be put in a box. Wisdom is justified by her children. That's another one of those idioms. We're, we're, we're East Texan. We understand idioms, right? That's like that dog won't hunt, right? You, we could go on, right? Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Yankees don't understand that either. We, we could keep going. But, but the Jews had the same thing. Wisdom is justified by her children means you'll figure out who's wise as we go on down the road. You'll understand it all by and by. We'll see who's right based on what happens from here on out. And, and so Jesus says, I'm not going to be the Messiah you expect or even want. I'm going to be the Messiah you need. And then he gets invited to dinner. He gets invited to dinner by a Pharisee. Now, I don't know about y'all. I've been to a lot of dinner parties I didn't want to go to, right? I think I would have said I'm busy. You know, if I'm Jesus and the Pharisees who are mad at me or plotting to kill me invites me to dinner, I got a thing that night. I'm sorry, I can't. What, whatever night that's going to be, I'm busy. I'm sorry, I can't make. But he goes. I love it because Jesus is fearless. He goes to this dinner and he sits down at the table. And the Bible says they are reclining at the table. Now, as they're reclining at the table, it looks like on this screen, they, they would kind of lean on their arm and they'd eat with the other hand and they would stretch their feet out. They didn't have chairs and tables like we do. And as they were eating, their feet would be stretched out. And, and as they ate, now remember, this is in the desert. And, and so they would move out to the, to the courtyard or to some kind of outdoor seating area. They wouldn't eat inside the house because that's the hottest place in the world. It's like eating in the oven. And, and so they wouldn't eat there. They would eat on the roof or they would, if they were really rich, but most of them ate in a courtyard. And, sorry, my leash is getting too short. Um, they would eat in a courtyard and, and the, the poor or the hangers-on would come and stand around the edges and they would watch the meal. And then when they were finished eating and, and it was time to adjourn to the next section where they would go and talk or whatever, they would leave food on the table and those poor people could come and help themselves to the leftovers. And every good Pharisee would make sure there was too much food, there was extra food, so that there would be something for the poor. That was the way it was done. That was culture. So people standing around the edge is not unusual. What's unusual is what happens. As Jesus is eating, this woman comes in. This woman, she's, she's breaking the rules simply by coming in while they're eating. She's breaking the rules by being a woman coming into a Pharisee's home. She's breaking the rules by not staying in her place. She's breaking the rules by touching a rabbi. She is by his feet, weeping. And as she cries, she's kissing his feet. And as she cries, her tears are falling on his feet. And she takes her hair. Women in that culture, to take your hair down was a symbol of impropriety. There's children in the room. You get me? Um, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. And, and the intimacy of that moment is, is what we don't get. 
that that intimate touch that she's doing there is improper. It's against the rules. It's not just that, that she's washing his feet when she's not supposed to be washing his feet. She's doing it in an intimate, almost sensuous manner. And that sends people into a tizzy. Last week it was cattywampus, Todd. This week it's tizzy. He keeps track of my East Texas saying. Um, this woman had lived a sinful life. And, and according to Luke, that's all he says. He just says she lived a sinful life. We don't know what that means, but we got pretty good guesses based on how she's acting here. She's lived a sinful life. So she was an outcast. She was one of those others. She's labeled. The Pharisees didn't see a woman. They didn't see someone made in the image of God. They saw an infectious piece of trash. And that infectious piece of trash is coming in, contaminating the dinner party. And as she's weeping and wailing, the same word for grieving is used here that's used earlier for the widow at Nain. That's how brokenhearted she is. And she's weeping and she's crying and she's making a scene with this display. And Jesus keeps eating. You've heard me talk about this before if you've been around because I just love this. Jesus is the coolest. If you don't see Jesus as the coolest person that ever lived, you're not reading it right. Because Jesus is just, I mean, can you imagine this? This woman, like, she's squalling, and there's tears, and there's snot bubbling everywhere, and she's, she's sniffling and snorting and making noise, and Jesus is like, can you pass potatoes? You see that? It's just, just eating a little biscuit, nothing, nothing going on. And, and then he says, this phrase, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Because you don't see her, Simon. You see a label. You see an outcast. You see an other. You don't see her. Simon, do you see this woman? Before that, he had told him a story. Simon, let me tell you something. Simon's like, well, tell me, teacher. And he tells him this story about how one guy owed a huge amount of money, and the other guy owed a little bit, and the debts are both forgiven. Who do you think is the most grateful? And Simon's ready for this test. I know, I know. It's the guy who had the most forgiven. And Jesus says, do you see this woman? I love that because you know that's all Simon's seen for the last hour is this woman, right? Simon's been sitting over there going, oh, my word, we got to get her out of here. She's ruining my dinner party. And if this guy was a real prophet, if this guy was a real teacher, if this guy was a real man of God, he would know what kind of trash was touching him. He wouldn't let her anywhere near him. Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? You knew she was there, but, but did you see her? Or did you see a sinner? Or did you see an outcast? Or did you see the other? See, you didn't wash my feet when I came in, but she's washed them with her tears. You didn't give me a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing me since I came in. You didn't anoint me, but she's anointed me. You invited me here, but it's she who has welcomed me. He says, Simon, I see you too. It's not just about seeing her. Because while you look perfect and sinless and all put together here on the outside, and she looks like a hot mess, I, I see you.
I see what's inside. He who has been forgiven much loves much. He who's been forgiven little loves little. It's she who's shown true hospitality, and her sins are forgiven. Read what it says there. Her sins are forgiven. You know how you can tell? You know how you can tell her sins are forgiven? The great love she has shown. You can see it. You can tell by what you see. And then he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's another idiom we don't get because he's not just saying, get out of here. He's saying, my peace go with you. He's saying, she's under my protection. When I leave here and things go back to normal, you guys can't lay a hand on her because she's under my protection. My peace covers her because that's Jesus. Jesus sees her at a time when women were property and not valued in any way. Jesus sees her. He loves her. He protects her. Ultimately, he forgives her. Last week, we wrote down some names, and and we've been praying for those. I hope you continue to pray for those. But I want to ask God to help us see to help us see the hurting, to help us see the people that we come into contact with the way he sees them. I want to ask God to help us see. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, I I want you to know that he sees you. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're here because uh, somebody invited you. Maybe you're here because you're coming with family. Maybe you're here because the Holy Spirit convicted your heart that you needed to be in church today. I don't know. But whatever you're here for, He sees you. Whether you are ready or not. And He's working on you right now. Maybe you're here this morning because you're hurting and you didn't know where else to go. Maybe you're here because you don't know why you're here. Let me submit to you this morning that you're not here by accident. You're you're here because He sees you. Because he's intervening. Just like with that widow, he's stepping in and coming to you. He sees your heart. He sees your hurt. But he sees you as a precious child of God. This morning, he wants to say the same thing to you that he says to this woman. Your sins are forgiven. And my peace will go with you. We want to pray with you. That's what we're about. We're a people that believe in prayer. We believe that prayer is the work of the church. We're going to sing a song in a second, and elders and their wives are going to be at the back of the building. That's just to make it easier for you to get to somebody to pray with. And so I encourage you to take advantage of that. Whatever's on your heart, whatever God's putting on your soul right now, go back there and just say, hey, I need you to pray with me. You don't even have to tell them. It's not confession. They don't need to hear what you're doing. They just, you, you just go back there and say, I need somebody to pray with me. Will you pray for me right now? Will you pray with me right now? And that's what they're there for. I encourage you to take advantage of that. Maybe this morning you say, I'm, I'm tired of doing this my way. I've done it long enough. It's not working. I, I'm going I'm to give it up and let God take control. That's what we do. That's what we're about. 
when we repent, when we confess His name publicly, when we say, I want God to take control, I want Jesus to take over my life, that's when we publicly are, are, are buried with Him in baptism and raised to a new life. And the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes and dwells inside you, gives life to your mortal body. That's what we're about. If there's any way that we can help you, I encourage you to come right now while together we stand and sing. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come.